Welcome to Making It Happen, a career in the performing arts where we discuss how to break into the performing arts industry for yourself or your child, teen, or young adult. Guests include artists, creatives, casting directors, musical directors, choreographers, agents and managers, as well as parents of young professional actors, singer, dancers, all who are passionate and share my vision of helping talented individuals land professional representation and have successful careers in the arts. My name is Lisa Solak and I am the CEO and founder of Making It Happen, a career in the performing arts, having helped hundreds of clients break into the business on stage in films, television, commercial work and more. This podcast is supplemental to my groundbreaking online courses, Professional Kids and Teens 101, a primer for parents, and Professional Biz 201 for young adults, college students, and graduates. For more information, check out all the ways that you can benefit from my courses, programs, free weekly newsletter, and free guides. Go to lbctalent.com or lbctalent.thinkific.com. My guest today is Kurt Solak. I caught him in between shows on Saturday at the August Wilson Theater on Broadway, where he is a featured ensemble member in the hit show Funny Girl. And I wanted to catch him as quickly as possible after he had experienced his Broadway debut in a principal role playing Nick Arnstein last Thursday. And he shares his full experience, preparation, and what it felt like to be on the stage in a leading role for the very first time. Enjoy. Hey, Kurt, I see you're backstage at the August Wilson again. Yep. (laughs) Thanks for jumping on. I know you're getting ready to start another show tonight. And we just spoke yesterday a little bit about what you did to prepare for your principal debut in a leading role on Broadway as Nick Arnstein that happened just this past Thursday, which was remarkable and amazing and just emotional for me as a parent, of course. (laughs) But what was really interesting, and I think what the listeners will really benefit from and why I asked you and thank you again for doing this, right before half hour. Yeah, I think that they're going to benefit from the discussion that we had yesterday in regard to how you prepared for this and the process and what goes on when you are understudying a big role like this, a lead male role, and what went into it for you. And I think it'll help to give people some insight to that process and to that world, right, on Broadway and how that happens. Because people talk about how they want to celebrate swings and we we all obviously celebrate them and we celebrate the understudies because that's what keeps the show going. That's what keeps, you know, them from having to cancel a show. But the process that you went through from the start of this through till the actual performance this past Thursday, I think is going to be really insightful for everyone. So congratulations. Yeah, no, I mean, it was pretty wild. We, um, we, you know, it's something that when I first booked funny girl, you know, with the call, they said, okay, we want you to be like from my agent. They said, Oh, we want you to be in the ensemble and you also, uh, a Nick Arnstein understudy. So I was, you know, not, completely surprised I was it was it was something that I knew I could you know I could do but also something that I definitely didn't expect especially for uh for it to be my Broadway debut and also to have that responsibility and um yeah in terms of you know what that entails I there was multiple covers for the track so for such a big lead role in the show usually they'll have a standby so that isn't necessarily because there's a, the delineation is a little different. So you have the, the main person who's cast in the role, then you have standbys that are in the building, and really they are there to sometimes just cover that one role if it's like a, that important of of a lead role. Um, so Jeremiah James, uh, 
who was with the show for you know all, up, up until like a month ago he was the uh, nick arnstein standby and he's fantastic and wonderful um and he went on most of the time and he was rehearsed from the beginning to be the main understudy for Ramin Karamu, who's our main casted Nick Arnstein. There also was another understudy in the ensemble, who's like an onstage cover of Nick Arnstein, Stephen Mark Lucas, and he's been on multiple times. So I was, not that there's necessarily like a first, second, third, but sometimes just because of the efficiency of the business of it in terms of getting people ready to go on and what that entails in terms of rehearsal time, they have to prioritize who they think is going to be going on. I also had a very featured, I have a very featured track in the show with a couple dance features and things. So in terms of me stepping out for the swing to come on, it's a bigger lift just in terms of getting people ready to to go on for my track. So I knew I was kind of going to be the last one to potentially go on, and it would have to be this perfect storm of people being out for me to even get on. So been with it since uh, yeah February of 2020 last year uh, when we started rehearsals and we opened last March and or previous last March officially opened last April but yeah this past Thursday July 13th 2023 almost like a year and a half after we initially opened that was my first time ever going on for the role which is crazy which is I, I was uh, very excited to be able to go on you know uh, knowing that I had the understudy and how many that we had Jeremiah and also Steven I wasn't sure if there would be a date to go on and when you get an understudy role like that you know you have rehearsals when they can get get it in depending on what needs to be prioritized because if it's much more likely that Jeremiah would be going on and he needs the rehearsal time where Steven might be going on they're going to give it to the people who are more likely to you know be stepping into the role sooner so my rehearsal time was a lot more sporadic throughout the whole process um i'd have a rehearsal then you know five weeks to months would go by before my next rehearsal for nick arnstein so of course being in the show listening backstage i was familiar with all the lines and like on my own time i i rehearsed the lines and and you know had that at least you know in my brain but in terms of blocking and things like that and like where you are on stage and the scene work like that all kind of needs to happen, you know, in a, a set rehearsal space because it's specific to the show and the blocking and the set and props and all those things. And there's so much like detailed work with that. So that happens in the rehearsal process. When they did give you the rehearsals <clears throat> that you had sporadically through the process, how long were those rehearsals? Um, they're usually like once a week. It's either on like a Thursday or Friday. And the rehearsals would last from like one to four p.m. or like 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 yeah, it was like one to four, I guess maybe till five sometimes. But of course, they're also rehearsing anyone else who's also doing the show. But because it's such because it's the Nick Arnstein role, like there were some rehearsals where it was like just me and um, Effie, who's one of the Fanny uh, understudies. We would have just rehearsals, just the two of us, sometimes just to work scene work because it, we didn't need to have call other people if we were going to be getting. A little more detailed with like, okay, what's actually happening in the scene where you're blocking because, you know, in terms of scenes where the whole cast would be in or they'd call the swings in to be in rehearsal, it wouldn't be necessary. So there were some rehearsals that I'd have that we'd just work on the scenes and then others where there'd be some other people there like the other understudies and, and the swings to like just run a different track that they haven't been on for or just to kind of get another rep in. Sometimes they're, you know, if they're not on stage for a while just to kind of mm -hmm, have a day sure. for them to, to work through the show. So once you found out that there was more of a chance that you might go on, is that when when you started to do more or were you training and for this all along? Like what were you doing as personal training? 
Yeah, so in terms of knowing myself and what I needed to do, and, you know, the last time I've, I've had a couple, I've, I had a lead in uh, a show down at the Wick, which is a regional theater in Florida, uh, for a show called Hot Shoe Shuffle. I've, I, I had leads when I was in high school, but otherwise, a lot of the shows I've been in have been ensemble dancer tracks with some featured lines and scenes here and there, but nothing to the scale of, like, this many songs and scenes where you're really, like, the, you know, lead male character. So knowing that, and knowing that, you know, at least the vocal part, from the beginning, from when I first booked Funny Girl in general, I started working with a, a voice uh, technician, Mike Ruckles, to just make sure it was as prepared as possible, um, both for my my normal dance track and the songs that I had to sing in the show, which I have a little hornet man, and then the beginning of Rat Tat, the top number, John Manzari and I sing. So we wanted to, we at least made sure with Mike that like I felt comfortable with that stuff. And then from that, uh, I found the Nick Ronstein stuff really from the beginning. From the beginning, vocally, I was working all the songs and and just my own personal journey. Like when I first started, I was like, I knew I wanted to get in with uh, a voice coach and voice technician to just make sure my voice was like both for my own track and also of course for the understudy to just be as prepared as possible because that's sort of on the performer to come in with whatever technique uh tech like technical work they do in the background or outside of the actual like theater like they don't provide you uh necessarily a voice coach that to you know to work with from the theater like you work with the music director just to learn your notes and sometimes they'll give you little tips for how they want it to sound for like at least the narration like the narrative or the story or for the sound they kind of want for the character but otherwise like the rest of it's sort of on the performer to either do on their own or work with whoever they usually work with so uh, a couple people from the show had worked with Mike Ruckles before I had heard of him and uh, started working with him but even before we started rehearsals for the show. And knowing that I had the understudy uh, for Nick, I started pretty early on my own just working on the songs. And it was a big uh, like growth opportunity because starting to work with him and, and work on the songs, you know, I, I felt comfortable with my voice, but it definitely was asking a lot more than I'd ever asked myself in terms of just the exposure of solo singing on a Broadway stage and, you know, having the lead who's cast be Ramin Karamlu and be uh, Jeremiah and Steven, which are, they're all amazing singers. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I consider myself a decent singer, but I definitely come from more of like an acting and dancing background and singing was always the thing that I was like, oh, I don't really have like the Broadway voice. It's just like, but, you know, you say that and the end of the day it's just like you just have to put in the work and the time and and work with the right people so that you're getting the right coaching and and um yeah so from the beginning i i made it a point to invest in some of the best lessons i could find even though they were much more expensive than other lessons that i had ever taken before for voice and you know you you do what you can and like and i i did a lot of you know having one lesson and then not having another lesson for a couple of weeks, but recording the lesson and actually doing the warm ups like frequently, if not every day and and working through the songs and working the muscle memory, because I think at the end of the day, it's to be able to perform and sound the way you want to sound and be living in the moment on the performance side and be in the, the scene work of it and the narrative. The the technical side of things has to be muscle memory by the time you're on stage. So like you like in terms of the time and effort to get it to that comfortable place, it's it's all that time that you don't see. You know, it's not in the rehearsal room, even in the theater. It's just you're on time at home in the shower or mm -hmm. waking up early and just singing it, you yeah. know. 
So many of my clients and so many people that I've worked with over the years, they don't understand the importance of doing the training when there isn't a short term goal. The long term, yeah. like took it from the long term. I mean, it's yeah, it's it's that it's that saying of like you know, don't get ready, stay ready, kind of a thing. Yes, and absolutely. Especially for an understudy situation when you don't know when you're going to be going on, or you know, whether it's swings, because uh, I've been a swing before, and, and a couple other, I've been, I was a swing in Tap Dogs, and I was a swing in um, some shows with Valladolid Cassell with like Tap Company things, and especially those kind of situations, like you have to over-prepare when you don't know when you're going to be going on. And when you're an understudy or swing and you're trying to, the job is like such a high ask in terms of having less time, like actually rehearsing and like on the set with the things that you, the normal ensemble tracks have or are doing every single night. And you're expected to come out and perform it just as well. And you know, it, uh, I just posted about the my the Thursday the debut, and like I mm-hmm. said, uh, I set the bar low for myself. I like I just didn't want to derail the show, and I just didn't want to like do something where you know I I embarrassed myself or like forgot <laughs> a line or something. And at the end of the day, like the first time you go on as a swing or an understudy, like that's kind of it's kind of where the bar is because it's not expected that I mean you you're still a performer, you still want it to be amazing, but for the first time out, like of course you know everyone's human, like it's it's understandable that it's not going to be a hundred percent the first time, but to be able to get to the place where you can go out even for the first time and feel confident doing it, like you still have to put in, you know, 50 reps of the show doing it so that it can feel comfortable and and cozy. And and when you add the extra elements of now there's an audience now there's lighting. Like the first time I went on stage Thursday doing Nick Arnstein was the first time that I actually sang with the orchestra in that part. Like every other time rehearsal, it was just piano. And I only had one day on the put-in, which thankfully I even got that because sometimes a lot of people don't even get to have a put-in before they go on. How many days before your actual performance was the put-in? Put-in was basically like a week before I ended up on stage but we didn't know when I was I, I might be needed on stage because the way it, it worked out Ramin is away right now doing a show in Italy he's doing Phantom Jeremiah had to leave the show because of medical reasons uh, just injured his wrist and Stephen uh, who's the other understudy has been on the last three weeks so if Stephen was off for any reason I would have to go on so knowing that uh, we weren't sure when it might happen and there was the first, basically the first week and a half went by where I I could have had to go on, but thankfully Stephen was healthy and he was, he was able to do the shows and I was able to have the put in before I even was needed on stage. Sometimes that yeah, doesn't yeah, happen? Sometimes you're just, yes, sometimes that doesn't happen. Sometimes you have to go out, whether it's understudy or swing and you don't mm-hmm. have, you know, like a proper put in where you actually get to, and a put in is where you have the chance to go through the show on stage with the relevant people that you interact with. Sometimes not the actual ensemble, like regular track people but sometimes the other understudies but you're doing it in the costume so you can feel all the costume changes you're doing it with mics for the first time so any other time i've ever rehearsed it was without mics and it was just like a piano and on stage reunion rules they it cost the production more to like bring in the sound people to run the mics and so the put-in is a you know special opportunity where they're going like okay like as close to possible the experience of doing the show without the audience without everyone else in costume, you're not going to have the um, orchestra, but it at least gives you like, you have lighting and, and automation. So the set moves, because mm-hmm. there's a lot of set moves and things that happen with mm-hmm. like. All those details that you have to worry about 
on stage, I can't imagine having to go on without the put in, but even then you still had a lot of factors that you had to kind of deal with. So what kind of things, because I know you've got half hour and a few minutes, what kind of things did you actually do specifically like the two weeks before the week before the day before, like, I know you had done some really kind of almost technical things to help yourself in regard to it, but can you kind of give people an idea? Because I don't think that everyone realizes that if you just rely on the rehearsal that they give you, there's no way yeah. that you would be prepared, right? Yeah, so there was a yeah, lot that you did ahead of time. Can you talk about that real yeah. quick? Yeah, so so in terms of the actual rehearsal time that they gave me, again, it was very sporadic. It was like every minimum, every like five weeks, I felt like sometimes between my rehearsal. So it was hard to even have any coherence between like, okay, the notes that I got last time, let me try to remember them. And Mm. then also now we're doing the second act. And then I haven't done like I there was a period where like I didn't do anything in the second act for it felt like five or six months because it was anytime I had rehearsal, we were going back to the beginning, definitely putting in my own time with trying to learn the lines, working on the songs, um, you know, tr- uh, one of the things that I think was the best thing that helped me the most was whether I, I don't know if I recorded it from backstage or one of the times that I was able to actually see the show from the front because I was either out because of injury or for something else I was swung out. I recorded the audio of the show just on my phone. And then what I did was I brought it into GarageBand and I deleted throughout the whole show all of the lines that Nick Arnstein says so that I could basically create like a track for myself that I have in my Dropbox that I can put headphones in and listen to on the subway or when I'm cooking dinner and just like run the lines and not have to like rely on anyone to read the lines with me. Cause of course, you know, as an actor, we're always having to do self tapes and call people to like read lines with, but a lot of times you're not able to do that. So whether both for self tapes and auditions that I have, sometimes I record myself saying the other lines and then that'll be something that I play back to myself to hmm. have someone to basically read lines with and get the timing. But especially with dealing with the timing of for this role specifically, like you have different fannies that you potentially are going to go on with. And the timing and the choices that they make are different and sometimes subtle, sometimes not so subtle between how they run the scenes, how they sing the songs, where they breathe. And Mm -hmm. that's something that was another variable that I needed to be ready for. So whether I was going on with Leah Michelle or I was going on with Julie, just being familiar with their cadence of the tempo of the scenes and uh, energy-wise, like at least being somewhat familiar with it. So I have a version of the show with Leah and then I have a version of the show with Julie that I can listen to and basically like run lines with them. That was like one of their actual performances, be at least close to their timing and and understand and expect and like kind of just for my own, yeah, just practice of it, just get used to like running it with their, yeah, with their timing. That was ingenious and that the fact that you had the capability to do that is pretty remarkable and obviously it took probably a lot of time i would think to do that to actually do that it took, i mean i think yeah i think one day it took like three hours i was just like let me just do this and mm-hmm. i you have it yeah i just i just, I just went through I, I you know i just it was like one act and then second act, it was the first act second act and i just went through and i cut out all of the lines and so there's just like you know blank dead dead space uh for when I say the line so I can kind of hear, but it's just, it, it helped me immensely just to be able to run it as many times as I did. And I think that's one of the main reasons why it felt so comfortable on Thursday and why I felt I didn't feel as nearly as anxious or scared of jumping out there because it was a combination of like, I had just enough rehearsal time with the actual set and like knowing what I needed to do. And I, you know, they, 
they answer your questions and they want they want to make sure you're as prepared as possible. So even the day of, like we ran a couple scenes right before, like just okay. made sure that like certain things were right with Julie because I knew mm -hmm. it was gonna be Julie. So like mm -hmm. before the show, we took like twenty minutes and just went through a couple things of how Julie likes to do certain parts of the show. And just to make sure that we there wasn't gonna be any issues with just like, yeah, different things. Mm -hmm. um, you know what, too, what other, prior to the performance, let's say over the, la the last two weeks, knowing that there was a good chance you were going to go on, like, just so for new actors and people who are doing this, like, what kind of sacrifices did you make in your personal life or, like, to make sure that you were prepared? You're talking about all this, but yeah. as far as, like, fitting it into your daily life, you, you're already doing a track in the show. Yeah, that, so. How did you do it all? Yeah, so, I mean, it's doing, of course, like, if I you know, thankfully having the time and the resources that I had to invest in the voice lessons and, but like also I just, I made sure that I prioritized that so that I, you know, I was keeping up with the voice lessons. If I wasn't, if I didn't have, if I felt like it was too much to spend money on another lesson, I at least was listening to it and going through it. And then in terms of just like the time to make sure I felt prepared. I mean, it's, I don't think you can necessarily over prepare, especially for something like this. Mm -hmm. um and i probably did it i don't know i, I don't think i did more than two because it just felt it felt right for mm -hmm. you know how i went out there i think if i had any guess i would have looked through the little question a little bit more asking, oh did i am i going to remember the lines in that scene or am i going to remember like what what note i had from the last rehearsal from the associate director that you know it's just like things like that to just like it's the, you're familiar so at least recently the last couple weeks knowing that it, I was potentially going to be going on. I was running things a lot more. Of course, I was I was doing the show, um, the normal schedule, and my own normal track. But, like, Monday night's the only night that we have off. And, like, you know, there was, like, a, a friend's party that was happening. But I was like, I'm not going. Like, I'm going to stay home. And I, from, like, basically, like, during the day, I ran the vocal stuff. And then at, like, around I ate dinner. And I basically, like, used the audio track and, like, ran through the show, looked at my notes. And then I believe Tuesday I did another run. Thursday when I found out that I was going to be on, I did two runs of the show at home before I even got to the theater. Just like just to just to get more reps in because it's it'll it would just make it that much easier for me yeah, to just that, trust that it was going to be there. Yeah, it's that muscle memory mm -hmm. too that you have to build so that when you're out there, you can actually be in the moment and you can be listening to your partner and you can be. And then there's also the factor of the audience and the lighting and the props and everyone else and all and the reaction of the of the audience and all of those things that enter into what you have to deal with yeah yeah i think and especially like even just you know as an actor there's a lot of thoughts but i think there's a general consensus that like the more you know your lines the more organic and in the moment you can be like i you know there's a certain point it's like oh like sometimes like you want to keep it organic so you don't want to over rehearse but like I think the any energy devoted towards what's my next line is energy that isn't in the scene and in your intention of like what you're trying to get in your objective or who Absolutely. the person that you're talking to you're, or you're not listening you're not actually listening to the person and, and taking it in you're you're thinking about your next line and how you're going to say it so the more that you can be out of that headspace and completely be in the forest Anthony Abson that I took with and I know you've interviewed and he's you know he's Amazing. wonderful one of the big, one of the biggest things that he said that has stuck with me for so long is, uh, you know, in like a TV film camera class that I took with him, but also just, you know, acting class. Um, so don't be a deer in the headlights, be a deer in the forest. And that to me is still one of the most like basic things that I keep reminding myself because it just, it really distills like everything down to 
any technique that you're doing, whatever acting-wise, like if you can, for yourself, convince yourself that you are in the scene, you are the character, you are trying to get something, you're trying to use tactics to try to convince whoever you're trying to convince to get what you want, and you're not thinking, I'm on stage, my family's in the audience, this is my first time on Broadway, the director's out there, and I didn't expect him to be here. The instinct is for it to those things to enter your brain because it's nervous, it's crazy to do this kind of this job. But the more you can just completely put blinders on and and be in, in the moment, the more you're going to have a more authentic performance and have a more compelling, you know, story to tell. Yes. Uh, because you're actually, you know, all your energy is going towards living in that character and in that scene rather than being worried about your lines or, or your blocking. So I think the, the doing the work over, you know, preparing, doing as many reps as you can, like, and getting it to the point where you are so sure and so confident that you're like, there's no way I'm not going to remember the line because I've done it. Mm-hmm already a hundred times before I even did it once on stage, that's like the only way to be as confident as you can, especially yeah. for the first time. And when it's like understudy, you don't know what's going to happen. Like it's, I, I'm very thankful that I put in that amount of work yeah, to absolutely. prepare myself to mm-hmm. be able to do what, what happens. And of course yeah. there's things that, you know, go wrong. And, but like for the amount that went right and that I was happy with what I did, I, I put a lot of it in that I, I really prepared myself. Yeah. Which is amazing. And I, I can't, we can't go without saying the reaction of the audience at the end of temporary arrangement and, and what happened and how amazing that number was overall for you and you standing there kind of having to wait because you don't know, like you kind of don't know what the audience reaction is going to be. So in rehearsal, you don't have that audience reaction. And then you had to stand there and wait for quite some time for the applause and the cheering to end. So that had to be a little bit crazy for you in that moment. Or did you feel like you were able to stay? Extra element being in the mix, which is the audience and, and their participation in the live theater. So it was, it definitely was, you know, exciting to finally have that energy and to, you know, add that into the mix of what the part is and how it feels playing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was amazing being in the audience, obviously, and watching you do that. And I think, um, you know, other people probably have had similar experiences in the same situation. Um, And you know, I think I think what's so great, and thank you again, because I know we're five minutes from you having to get ready. Yeah, for the show. Gotta um, you got to go. I know they shut the lights out. Um, but yeah, just thank you so much because I really feel like people need to understand the t- the the time, the effort, and the money that needs to go into that training piece, and that's. In this situation, yeah. I mean, at, at the end of the day, you you can always boil things down to, you know, of course, the whole like YOLO, like you only live once. Is this something that you actually want to be doing? Is it something that you're actually serious about? Is it something that like why deprive your future self of being as you know reaching as high as you can and and going for as big a thing as you can? Like it, you know, it's all like self limiting ideas about what you can or can't do or what you should or shouldn't do why not try to find the best possible training and pour as much money into investing in yourself so that you can have the when if if and when there is an opportunity for you to be a lead on broadway or be Mm -hmm. in a movie or why wouldn't you want the best for yourself to be as prepared as possible and have the best training so that when it does happen it's just like breathing and you're like okay i can handle that what's next Mm -hmm. I, of course, there's financial constraints. Of course, there's resources that you have that, you know, time and money that you have to prioritize what's most important. 
But I honestly think sometimes finding the right training, even if it's more expensive, you shouldn't be afraid to, A, give it a try, because I always think, like, you know, you learn, even from someone who's a beginner, I, I learned things, like, whether I was, you know, teaching tap, and there was a seven-year-old in my class that said something about some step, that could be just the trigger that I needed to, to fix something that I was working on, because it's just a different way of looking at it. So any, any new training and any new experience is, like, a potential to potentially give you something that you're missing in whatever skill set you're trying to gain. So I always think like trying out different teachers until you find one that clicks, even if you find one that clicks, like trying like getting a lesson with other people just to see if there's something else that's useful. Because like if it's useful to you, great, you'll use it. If not, you you can Mm -hmm. throw it away and you can... Mm You know, I don't think it's wasted money. Yeah, taking from new people isn't a bad thing. Trying to find the best training and and being prepared to see it as an investment and not an expense. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, it'll that like you have to kind of you know it's the, you have to see yourself as a business and you have to spend money to make money and if mm-hmm. you don't treat yourself like okay I'm you know you have to kind of think what's the loftiest thing I want to do and what are those people doing and who are they training with. And what are they doing every day to maintain that? Until you do those things, you're not you 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 can't expect to be on that level. And once you start doing those things, you make it inevitable that those things are going to happen because now you're that's the only thing separating you from the people at the top is just like how they live their lives, what their habits are, who they're mm-hmm. training with, what they're doing. And that's the biggest thing. Like I think, you know, in terms of talent and skill set, it's all environment, you know, genetic predisposition. Some things are easier for people. Some people can just go into their splits, no problem. And some people really have to work for it. But I think, you know, gaining those things, you have to be realistic with what you can do. But I think there's a lot more that you can do that maybe you think you can't, that you have to give yourself the opportunity to go for. Mm-hmm. And even if that means spending a little more or sacrificing going to a party or sacrifice a whole, you know, something else entirely, if it's really if it's truly something you want to do and it's truly something that you it's a dream for yourself like why not yeah like aim for the moon and treat it like you're it's it's going to happen and the only way to get there is to invest in yourself and prioritize of course that yeah and of course you want to make sure that you're like doing it in a safe way and spending money with the right people but yeah it's it's part of that's finding vetted teachers and talent that is trustworthy and it's you know it's asking people and it's seeing like the reason I ended up with Mike is because you know a bunch of the cast already was taking with them mm-hmm. um or had been taking with him previous times and I had been out and they had good things to say so like that's how I found him mm-hmm. um yeah. and it's the same with any other kind of like teacher situation it's seeing Seeing what people are doing who are doing what you want to do and just kind of like following their lead and working really hard, whether you win or you lose or you're, you know, where whatever you are in the situation, it's just like just putting in the work and continuing to just grow and keep reaching and not limit what you think you can or can't do. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. So we're looking forward to you and- going on again at some point. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And more lead roles in your future, I'm sure. Hope so. <laughs> we'll we'll see. We'll see about that. Well, but, the, um, yes, keep the training going. Did they call? Did they call half hour? Yeah, yeah, I gotta go. Okay, all right. Thank but, you yeah. so much for the insight. Have a wonderful, wonderful show tonight. Everybody, go see Funny Girl at the August Wilson. It's gonna be, it's gonna be closing September third. So get your yeah, tickets. September third. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and follow Kurt at Kurt Solak on Instagram, and you can maybe come see him do the lead role again or come see him in his featured ensemble role. Yeah, all right. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks Mom. All right, love you. <laughs> right. Bye. Love you, bye. Bye.
If you'd like to continue to follow Kurt and keep up with all he's doing, follow him on Instagram, as I said, during the interview at Kurt Solak. And join me every Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern. Need more information? Visit lbctalent.com or lbctalent.thinkific.com and follow me on socials at lisasolak underscore lbctalent. By sharing our stories, we can help other talented individuals land the career of their dreams.